Hello, welcome to this episode of the Icelandic Roots podcast. My name is Jack, and in this episode, I have sat down with Sierra Jensen, who is my counterpart doing the Snorri internship here in Hafsos, working at the Emigration Center Museum. First of all, I would ask you, is there a memorable line that you know of in Bill Holmes' book off the top of your head or one that you could like find in his book? Anything that stuck out to you? Just him explaining the windows uh-huh. and how magical they were. He said the window or the house is has magical windows and is held up by a few boards mm. and and then him just explaining the uh, the river and what he can hear mm. and the view from his windows. I think as you say that and reading those lines as well, and looking out the window now, it's interesting in a few ways. So one, it is interesting because here we are living in a house that there is a book about, and so we can sit here and spend time here and read the book and learn about the place where we're living through the perspective of a very sensitive and deep-thinking person. Mm-hmm who lived in this house, his perspective on things. And so that adds to the, the space where we live, right? So For often sure. we're just like living in a house and maybe it's a family house and you do have stories there and you have memories there and people tell you memories that they have of that place, but very seldomly are like you reading it and especially reading it in a very artistic or poetic way. And then that also makes me think of something else when talking about a window. It's like, yeah, well, no kidding. This is actually like, pretty cool invention and talk about something that's completely overlooked every single day Mm -hmm. we all have windows in our homes it makes it so that we can look outside and enjoy the scenery but also that we stay safe from the elements and uh, I work with actually a guy who's a glass blower and so he like makes art with glass but I've asked him a few times like wait can you explain glass to me like how is it and it's one of those things actually like a lot of things where I work at at the zoo where people will explain things in scientific terms, like, yes, this has this like mineral composite and this blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it makes sense to me, but I could never repeat it. Right. So glass was kind of the same way. The way he described how it's manufactured, like I kind of intuitively understand it, but I am not going to try to explain it again right now. But it is really a miracle. Like, my God, how did we come up with this? And yes, a very simple window, just supported by two boards mm-hmm. in a frame, And it opens us up to the world. And sitting right here, you know, there's no TV in this house. And I think it would be a shame if there was. Because this is really the greatest view and the scenery is ever-changing. Today it was very windy all day. Now the wind has actually died down. It's a bit more calm out there. But you can watch the waves crash, especially so if it's windier. And then, like you mentioned, the river. The Mm -hmm. river comes down here and meets the sea. And, and so as you can Bill see some Holm, patterns there. As Bill Holm talked about, there's always something to write about mm-hmm. looking out these windows. He would go off about the birds and every <laughs> bird that he's seen. And then something about the bird and the fish and everything. Yeah, and, the, and to the sea. Do you see that bird? Mm-hmm. So one of, I think it's an Arctic tern. It just dived in and then like came out again. Like that's so fascinating. Uh, this morning, a cruise ship drove past. And it turned out that cruise ship, they were actually meant to... Not to dock here, but to send out a little boat of some tourists who are going to come to the museum. And we watched as they just continued to drive along. And I guess it was too windy for them to 
dock, so we never got those mm -hmm. cruise ship people here. But you're right, there is always something. And recently, and we didn't see this from the window, but you know, if we sat here the whole time, we maybe could have seen it, especially <laughs> if we had a telescope, but the walrus. Mm -hmm. So just across the bay in Sodacrooker, which you can kind of actually see the town site there, from here. Uh, there was a walrus there like three, four days ago, and it was there for a few days, and we were lucky enough to go see it. And so maybe we can share a bit of backstory as well for people who are listening and wondering what we're rambling on about. So Sierra and I are both at Hofsos, and we're in Brimness, which is the home of Bill Holm, and his last book that he wrote was called The Windows of Brimness, and it was really an expose on Iceland in general, Icelandic culture, and his perspective, I think the subtitle is actually An American Living in Iceland, mm -hmm. and so his perspective being a Western Icelander coming back and living here many summers in a row, I'm not sure if he ever stayed here like through the winter, but he's here mainly, yeah, mainly writing about his time here during the summer. Um... And it's a very interesting book, and as Sierra and I were talking about, it's very interesting to live in this place that has a book about the home, and Bill Holm was a very mm -hmm. sensitive and deep thinker, and so it's interesting to read his stories about this place, and about Hofsos, and about the Immigration Center. The Immigration Center is where Sierra and I are working, and maybe we'll get back to the walrus, because the walrus has been chiefly on my mind every single day since seeing it. <laughs> But maybe you can talk about the museum a bit, because you have been here for a month and a half now. Yeah, about four weeks now. Yeah, and I will be leaving, sorry, you will be leaving soon, mm -hmm. but then I will be staying for the rest of the summer to continue working here. Mm -hmm. So, well, Sierra, what is the museum, <laughs> and why have you been working here? Yeah, well, the museum is a history museum that has lots of different exhibits to tell the story about the Icelanders who immigrated to North America in the late 1800s and early 1900s. We have a North Dakota museum, which is a big interest of mine. I can find stories of my ancestors, the town that I grew up in, and mm. the nearby Icelandic towns that I have visited. So that is very interesting. And then the main exhibit has the whole storyline mm. of the immigration. Mm -hmm. Pictures, stories, the Brazil exhibit yep. that you have met people mm -hmm. who knew. And then we have the main office exhibit, which is about the people, mm -hmm. photographs of the people. And then and then we have a genealogy library, which yes. we spend a lot of time helping visitors. Uh -huh. Yes, the genealogy aspect can be very complex um, during your... Well, yes, and so why have you been here? And why For, are we here? What are we doing? What are we doing? Uh-huh, good question. We're doing an internship for the Snorri program. Yes. What is the Snorri program? The Snorri program is a cultural exchange program. Mm -hmm. So if you have Icelandic descent, you can study and learn and live with family over in Iceland. Mm. See where the farms are that your family has immigrated from. Mm -hmm. Meet ancestors. Study we, at the university. Yes. And then just immerse yourself in the culture itself. Eating mm -hmm. their food, working, volunteering. Yeah. Riding horses. Riding horses. Riding cars in Reykjavik, all the things. Hiking, yeah. swimming, lots of swimming. It really might be, I'm not sure, have you done any like other cultural exchange programs or anything like that? No, I haven't. Yeah, not so much mean either. I know there's lots of like study abroad programs mm -hmm. uh, where you'll go away for a semester. 
but this one to pack it all into five weeks or so i think it like is the most extensive of a immersion in a culture that you could have um i think it helps too like icelandic culture is different than north american culture but it's still very similar it would be much different than going to china per se and speaking of china bill holmes book coming home crazy uh i haven't read it entirely and as sierra knows my reading habits especially in this house and maybe you can see pictures or maybe some people listening to this have even actually stayed here uh bill when he was around actually was very open to having visitors stay here mm-hmm. um but also since then there have been lots of other guests being able to stay in his home and now the snorri interns uh stay here as well uh but the house is surrounded by books and many of the books i think are literally just left here uh from bill mm-hmm. and from his reading and so uh, a lot of the books have a bookmark like halfway through or two thirds of the way through <laughs> which I relate to because my bookshelf ends up that way as well. I'm not always finishing books in their entirety. And being here, it's like overwhelming amount of books. So I've been here for like one week now. So I'm just trying to like read bits and pieces of every book, which I think if you're going to read books, it's better to have read a little bit than to have not read anything. I think sometimes we get hung up on thinking, I need to read this book from start to finish. And then we never read the damn book. So just read it. And so anyways, of Bill's books that are here, uh, there's about seven here on the table. Um, I've just kind of flipped through and read bits and pieces of each just to get acquainted with his work, because I must say and admit that I was ignorant to who Bill was before coming here. Mm -hmm. It maybe was because, you know, I'm sure, like my relatives, they come from Saskatchewan area. So if he was a Saskatchewan author, I'm sure I would have heard of him. But he was a Minnesota uh, person and then living in Iceland as well. So unfortunately, I just never came across his work. Fortunately, unfortunately, but fortunately, because it's been very cool to have not known who he was, Mm -hmm. and now to be introduced to him while living in his home. It's very profound. But Yes. And maybe we should list some of the books that he has, Okay. so our listeners can maybe find one of his books. Uh Like we're reading The Windows of Brimness, like Jack stated, and there's another one right here, The Heart Can Be Filled Anywhere on Earth. Mm. And then coming home crazy, that's about coming home from China, right? Uh Uh-huh. We read bits and pieces of that. It's like essays. It's different bits. So I think there's other stories embedded in there. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how much. It sounded like he spent months there in China. And so, yeah, talking about cultural exchange, you know, it's it would be much more of a culture shock, I think, in many ways, going to an Asian country than going to a European or Scandinavian country. It's uh, But it still is some culture shock and different things for us to learn mm-hmm. yeah and then a couple of the poems we've looked at also mm-hmm. yeah so he has books of poetry too and uh the music of failure playing the black piano and the dead get by with everything so and then isol isol and funny enough this one there's like a spanish version of it translated mm-hmm. into spanish so his books have been wide reaching it seems like as well and read in different languages and then there's many, many other books surrounded in this house. So my Avi, as uh, I've been sharing stories with Sierra, he just turned 98 years old nearly a month ago now. And uh, he's now living in a nursing home in Foam Lake, Saskatchewan, which is right near the farm where he's lived most of his life. 
uh, just outside of Foam Lake. And the farm is still in the family. My uncle farms it, and now my cousin's there too. Uh, but my Avi had a basement library in his office. And it was similar to this in that it had a lot of different old books. And some old sagas, different books on Iceland, um, some biographies on Gandhi. My Avi traveled to India with the Saskatchewan wheat pool. And so he was well-traveled and well-read. But after every summer going there, I started to feel like I kind of exhausted his library. <laughs> and there were so many other authors, older authors, that I wished that he had. Some of the classics, even to list them, there's Anton Chekhov, um, all of Holodor Laxness's books. So the Nobel Prize winner, author of Iceland. All of his books are here. And uh, many, many others. Walt Whitman, which I think Bill was a fan of and references him in some of his books. And yeah, just uh, lots of different styles of books that I never found in my Avi's library. So as I've been here, I felt like, wow, this is the library I always wished was in my Avi's <laughs> basement. But now it is here and I get to experience this. So it's very cool. And you have two more bookshelves to explore. Uh, There's yes. one in the bathroom and one in the bedroom <laughs> uh -huh. where I'm staying. Yes, so I still have more and more books to mm -hmm. explore. And then beyond that, you're mentioning the genealogy area in the museum. And then the upstairs offices too. There's all these genealogy books. books and all these books with Icelandic culture, North American culture. So I certainly won't be short on uh, reading material while I'm here. Now, so yes, the Snorri Internship. Yeah, maybe back to that back and some information. So we went on, Sierra and I both went on the Snorri program last year. In 2022, we had the largest Snorri cohort ever of 22 of us. And I think a lot of that was backlog from being canceled during the pandemic a couple of years. I think you had applied and it got in accepted the year before. I applied. Oh, in 2020, yeah. Yep, I got accepted. So waited two years. But the summer of 21 was postponed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had a big group. Yeah, I think it was a special group, too, in many ways. Absolutely. Being that we were waiting two years to do it, there was no Snorri program for a couple of years. We uh, hit it hard and had a lot of fun, but there's lots of Snorri content on the podcast for people to listen to. But it really, you can't exhaust the amount of stories that we gained. Mm -hmm. And today we just met with the Snorris that are here this year. Uh, a mere 14 of them, but still a very good group, very keen, and they went through the museum with us here today. And so back to the museum, is there any interesting backstory or history of the museum? You've spent some time with Volgaire and Mallory, mm -hmm. who's the director, and then Volgaire, who is the sort of owner and instrumental in starting the museum. So what sort of things have you learned? Yeah, I think Volgaire stated that he's been in the business like 30, mm. 40 years uh -huh. now, and he built the whole museum mm -hmm. from scratch. Yes, a carpenter by trade. Mm -hmm. So he did a lot of the work physically himself. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's questions that I actually have for him, too. Like, right. uh, why was this something that he was interested in starting? You know, you would think that it was maybe someone like Bill Holm, someone who was born in North America, mm -hmm. coming here to tell the story about Icelanders who emigrated to North America. But here, Volgaer is a local. He grew up in a farm just nearby, Hofsos. Um, so yeah, I'd be and, curious to ask him like, why, why? Yeah. And yeah. he always says the older you get, the more you appreciate where you come from mm -hmm. and the more you want to know about your roots. Yes. Yeah. And I think he wants to do that for so many people. Mm -hmm. 
have this immigration center that you can come to and explore your roots and learn so much. And it seemed like, uh, well, Bill mentions the museum in his book. Mm -hmm. He would go there and Bring drink cleaners. coffee and then read some of his writing to Lawgare. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, for him, I assume he knew all of his genealogy and had that information as well. Different sorts of things that are provided by the museum. And a lot of the museum will actually use the Icelandic Roots database uh, for getting their genealogy for people. And people will come here and they'll have their name or name of a family member and ask us to search it up for them. You've had mm -hmm. some experience doing that for people too, yep. right? Icelandic Roots is very helpful. Mm -hmm. Just so you can keep clicking on their names mm -hmm. until... Mm -hmm. And how does it feel for you being someone that's like taking them through that and showing them this? It's like so it's exciting. It's kind of like you have the magic power, mm -hmm. right? It's so exciting. And they're just so amazed. All the, all the information mm -hmm. and details of mm -hmm. each family member. Mm -hmm. It's so fun. I love it. I love meeting them and hearing where they're from. Yeah. yeah. And just learning where their farms are mm -hmm. and how many years ago and what traditions that they're mm -hmm. continuing. Yeah, and the different stories. Hofsos is a very small town. Uh, again, it's across the water from Sildekroker, which is a decently big town, but still quite small. And then Akareri is not too far from here. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure about... About an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah, you've been there a few times since being here. I will go there at some point, as I have a lot of time here yet. Uh, but, you know, it's easy in a place like this where you could feel very, like, isolated and bored or lonely. Mm -hmm. But being able to work out of the museum, you, there's always someone for you to meet. There's always someone who comes in here. And a lot of people, like just during my time, I've met many German tourists, some people from Denmark, Switzerland. Australia. Yeah, yeah. So people that don't... Then, of course, there's the North Americans that come here mm -hmm. specifically to trace their roots, to mm -hmm. hear the stories of their ancestors. But then a lot of people that are just tourists coming in, and it's, so it's interesting to them. And I think a lot of people of European background or who live in Europe today are familiar with the mass emigrations to the New World. I mean, America and Canada, they're countries of immigrants. You know, beyond the indigenous people that live there, North America is really this melting pot of all different cultures, uh, originally starting with Europeans, but now it's Asians, it's Africans, it's people from all over the world mixing and mingling in North America, really just to create this mosaic of humanity. And really many places in the world are becoming that with globalization, with the ease of travel, being able to fly mm -hmm. anywhere in the world at any time. But for a lot of cultures, they're not able to trace their roots still. Mm -hmm. Like they may know, like I moved here with my parents at this date and such and such a date. My grandparents grew up in this place where I'm from, but that's about the extent of it. Mm -hmm. In Iceland, they've maintained that genealogy database that they can trace it, sometimes literally all the way back. And I sometimes question how accurate these are, yeah. these traces that go all the way to year 900, but it's still something and it's better than nothing. And it's mm -hmm. very cool. It connects you to history. And maybe that is something people search for once they're getting older. Absolutely. I think for us, it's interesting to learn these things at a younger age, but it does seem to be a pursuit of people more or less like in their maybe 40s, 50s or older that are really keen on searching these things up. And it's been so fun asking people where they're from mm -hmm. when they come into the museum. Mm -hmm. Like today, there's someone from Canada. Oh, yeah, I'm from Winnipeg. Oh, I'm from North Dakota. Mm -hmm. Oh, are you from Mountain? Actually, I am from Mountain. <laughs> 
Yeah, so here we are essentially in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But we'll meet people that know of the places where we live back home. Yeah. Feels like a small world. And like I was telling you yesterday, I met people from North Dakota, Minnesota, Uh and we just started asking questions. Oh, yeah, where are you from? I'm from Mountain. Oh, so do you know Mm. so-and-so's family? Uh And I'm like, oh, yeah, actually, they're my neighbors, or I went to school with them. And they're like, oh, okay. And then I happened to find out that they are my brother's girlfriend's Mm. side of the family. Uh (laughs) Very close. And then I helped them with their genealogy. Yeah. And yeah. I think we had somebody at the BAMP convention today. Yep, yep, yep. Someone who was they there. They recognized us. Yeah, because we were up there, got to speak uh, on behalf of Snorri there. So, I mean, there was a lot of people at the BAMP convention. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's uh, cool to have these connections. And it's really a privilege to be involved with these sorts of organizations, whether it's Icelandic Roots, Snorri, or the Icelandic clubs throughout North America. Now with the museum as well, getting to know people and kind of be a part of these communities. That's something Icelanders are very good about is, you know, they recognize you, right? Mm -hmm. If they've met you once before, they'll remember you. If you're a friend of this person, they'll know that person. And then now you're connected or you can just look up your name in the database Mm -hmm. and see how you're related. And then it's like, okay, well, now that's even more. You're distant cousins. Now we're family. And then you shake hands. Nice to meet you, cousin. Mm -hmm. And then... Feels like yeah. you've known each other for years. Or you impress them with your command of the Icelandic language. Yeah. And blow their minds. Which uh, we don't know too much, to be fair. A couple phrases. But uh, even just learning that is very nice. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we've and had practicing it with people that come to the museum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've had people quiz me what I know <laughs> and only speak to me in Icelandic mm. until I figure out what they're saying. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, back to the walrus, maybe. Yeah. You wanted to begin that story. Yeah. And so the croaker. Yeah, did you hear about it beforehand, like on uh, social just media? articles, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Mallory told me first, hey, there's a walrus. And then I had a couple of different messages. Hey, look, there's a walrus <laughs> near you. Yes, yeah, I, I, like, okay. I didn't realize it was close to here. Mm-hmm. I had heard the same thing, like just news stories. And then, of course, that all got crowded out with the earthquakes and now the volcano, <laughs> which is interesting, too. And maybe you'll get to see the yeah. lava. But uh, I was hearing different things like, oh, yeah, there was a walrus here. But I know just recently there was, too. There was a famous one, I think, named Wally, who was, like, in Ireland. And people knew him, like, in, in the, the, those areas. And then it ended up here. They're like, wow. And that was either a year ago or the last year. I think there's been a walrus every year for the last three years that has oh, come really? here. Yeah. I didn't know that. But it's still very rare. In this book I have over here, or that I found on Bill Holmes' bookshelf about plants and animals of Iceland, it said on walruses that, you know, of course, they're not living here today and there is interesting stories about how they went extinct in Iceland and there's thought that beyond just political unrest in Norway and people looking for a new land to settle the Norse migrations of people colonizing Iceland in the late 800s could have been based on that but also more so that they knew there was large populations of walruses here which was a great commodity for food for oil and for ivory, that a lot of entrepreneurial-minded Norse came here sort of a, as a more entrepreneurial business side of things. They could hunt the walruses and sell their commodity mm-hmm. that they get from walruses. So that might have been a larger draw to people migrating to Iceland in the early days of settlement than is always told in the history books. Uh, but one thing is for sure, they were hunted to extinction pretty quickly after humans settled uh, Iceland. 
the walrus history in Iceland is interesting. And I remember before I came to the Snorri program last year, I was sitting in Vancouver. Uh, I spent a night there before I took the plane out. I, th I had a totally empty journal and I was intimidated by it. Like, God, there's going to be so much to learn, so much to write around. Where do I begin? And actually, uh, I work at the zoo, uh, if you didn't know. And I, I had a gift from my zoo co-workers. They gave me this button, like a pin button. And it had a Arctic fox on it, which is the only native land mammal to Iceland. The Arctic fox still lives here today. And Volgair had a close encounter with one just the other day, in fact. Uh, I thought, well, you know what? Ecology. Oh, and the button said biodiversity ambassador which is just kind of a cool way of saying someone interested in ecology. Uh, so I looked over at my suitcase that had that button on it, and I thought, okay, that's a good place to start in my journals. I will write about the ecology of Iceland. So I was looking up some things on my phone and taking notes, learning about the natural history of Iceland. There was one little bit on walruses, and it was just like a small paragraph. It said, uh, yeah, walruses were native here, but they were hunted to extinction in like a few decades after human settlement. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Like, I'm sure there's more of a story on that. I'm sure there's much more to it. You know, extinctions of species, oftentimes I think are written in the history books as like, yeah, humans made this species go extinct, you know, this many thousands of years ago, and that's kind of it. And I know there's more to it, but oftentimes we kind of gloss over those. And it's sort of mysterious. And so I kind of set that aside. And it wasn't until this trip now, being back, it was funny, the day of the earthquakes, which I don't think we've talked about the earthquakes yet. So there were earthquakes in Iceland, which I can get to in a moment. Uh, but the day of the earthquakes, I was meeting with a relative in Reykjavik, and we were having dinner. And he was telling me about walruses, and I forget the author's name. You can maybe look it up. Uh, and he was writing about maybe this untold history about, as I was mentioning, early Norse settlers coming to Iceland because there was large populations of walruses and using them for a commodity. And so I thought, oh, that makes sense. There must have been more to the story of the walrus extinction in Iceland. Anyways, flash forward today, there's sometimes rogue walruses here, and it just so happened to be me coming to Hofsos, and there was a rogue walrus spending a few days at the docks in Sothekroker. So we made our way over there my second night in Hofsos and was able to see the walrus sitting on the docks and just laying there, sunning itself, very huge beast, mythical looking creature, but just kind of laying there being lazy. It would tilt its head up, you'd see its big tusks move, and the police had the dock roped off so that tourists couldn't go up to it. And I expected a big crowd of people like what you get for the volcanoes, people going out there in droves, but it was fairly tame, just a few carloads of people taking photos. So anyways, we watched it for a while, and uh, I guess there's some risk that the walruses will sink boats, so smaller boats, they may lean on the edge of it, and their tremendous weight will just sink one side of it, and then it will get water in it and sink the boat. Uh, but I don't think it sunk any boats here. Uh, Sierra and I were at the pool the next day in Hofsos, which is Besides the museum, the number one thing to do in Hafsos, and besides the restaurant. The restaurant is very good. Mm -hmm. So today we actually had the quintessential Hafsos experience. We were in the museum working there, of course. Then the stories came. We went to the pool with them, and then we went to dinner 
at the restaurant. So we did all the things, the trifecta of Hafsos tourism. Uh, we were in the pool one day and talking about the walrus and someone beside us said, yeah, we went there today and it was actually gone. So it had left now, uh, but we were very lucky to see. Uh, the volcano. The volcano. Yeah. Started erupting about a mm-hmm. few days ago. It's the third volcano now in a row. In the same each year. area. The same sort of area. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Near the airport. This one said it's bigger than last year. Ah. It's flowing more. Um, but I am heading back to Reykjavik on Friday mm-hmm. in two days. And I am planning to go hike up to the volcano and see it. I think it's a once in a lifetime thing to experience. So I'm very excited about that. Yes. And I was lucky before I came here to feel the earthquakes. There was like, I think, 4,500 in total across the span of maybe five days or so. I was my second morning in Dollar Hostel, which is where we stayed as the Snorri Group last year. And I had uh, several nights there in Reykjavik on my own this time, starting out my internship here. And so it was my second morning, and I woke up around 8.30. I felt a rumble in the room, and I thought nothing of it. I thought it was just somebody slamming the door in the hallway of the hostel. I said, wow, that's very aggressive. Please don't slam the door. Anyways, I got up and I went down to the cafe for breakfast and there was another rumble just like that, which I would have thought nothing of except for I looked around and everyone was on their phones and mumbling to themselves, oh my God, another earthquake. And I thought, oh my God, another earthquake. Wow. So I had been feeling earthquakes that morning with the rumbling. It was quite the experience. I felt at least 20 throughout the rest of the day. And certainly there were at least that. You can look like on a website and it shows you all the earthquakes per hour uh, throughout the days. And like I said, there was many, many, many across that time. And so I felt many throughout the day. And uh, it was a very interesting sort of rumble. Just feels like a big truck driving by, kind of shakes the house. But it feels different than that even, especially when you know it's an earthquake. You kind of sit with it, close your eyes and feel it for a moment. You almost feel this ripple come up and somehow you feel the geology of it. You feel the connection deep down into the core of the earth. And it's very humbling and makes you feel like this deep connection to this incredible force, which is so fitting in Iceland because the island was shaped by volcanic activity. And I mean, that is why Iceland exists today, is due to volcanic eruptions and just bursting up through the surface, being on the, uh, what is the word, Uh, sort of the bridge between two tectonic plates of the European plate and the North American plate. And you get this geological activity here, and it was so cool and so humbling to experience it firsthand to feel the rumbles of the earthquake. So I don't know if I'll be able to see the lava myself. Sierra, like she said, will be hopefully heading there. I know some days it's closed because of toxic fumes. And I think it gets very busy with the tourists there as well. Uh, But for me, just to experience the earthquakes was something cool enough in and of itself. And a natural phenomena I'd never experienced before. Kind of like seeing the walrus, something very rare to happen, may only happen once a year, once every few years, and very lucky to see. So beyond the walruses, the earthquakes, and now the lava flowing, these have been the quintessential Icelandic experiences. Maybe we'll talk about whale watching as well. Yeah, I went whale watching the other day, um, out of Dalvik, 
it was about a three and a half hour tour. I think we saw about seven whales. It was beautiful. Yeah, how about words on the landscape as well? Just going on hikes around here, the ocean here. We've talked about it where the river meets the sea, the landscape. Yeah. Yeah, Mallory and I hiked up um, to the mountain just outside of Hofsos and got to see everything from that elevation, the town of Hofsos itself, mm. and just distance-wise, you could see so far and so pretty watching the sun slowly go down. <laughs> yes, the perpetual sunsets, as I like to call them, the eternal sunset. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you can say, like the differences in the landscape? I think about those who left Iceland, and it's interesting to think about, like, they just kind of had pamphlets to go based on. Some drawings of the prairies of the New World, the promise of free land and abundant forests and crops that grew well. But certainly the landscape here is very unique. I wonder how those that migrated to central North America to North Dakota, to these prairie landscapes. Like, your perspective growing up in the prairies there, flatlands, and now being out here, there's something to that, right? Yeah, and it makes me wonder how people explained Mm -hmm. it, because I don't even have the words to explain how beautiful Mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but vice versa, too. Like, it's hard for us to explain landscapes. So imagine if you didn't have photography, or much of it, and imagine you just have one pamphlet, and you're talking to someone who didn't even have, like, a encyclopedia to learn about your country mm-hmm. how would you like pitch them on like yes come settle in north dakota this is what it's like and like back in the day right on why you should come to north dakota yeah all this farmland <laughs> uh-huh. for the most part and beautiful summers mm. things to hunt deer yes yeah lots of mm-hmm. i think that would be a big draw mm-hmm. to icelanders is that you can actually go out and hunt your meat mm-hmm. and not just fish yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And North Dakota is really known for their amazing sunsets. Yeah, I know they call Saskatchewan like the land of the living skies. And it's kind of like when you're out looking at the horizon of the ocean, it's sort of just infinite land. And it's similar in the prairies too. I've not only been learning about Iceland, but I've then been learning about the other places in North America where Icelanders went to, places that I didn't really know too much about before. Yeah, my hometown of Mountain, North Dakota, we have Mm. the oldest Icelandic church. Mm. And so... I've appreciated it, but my appreciation has grown so much of the history in the church itself. And then I've spent a lot of time working at the Icelandic State Park, where we have more heritage buildings and a museum, and just more research for those in North Dakota to learn about Iceland. I think just my appreciation for home has grown so much, realizing this is where we settled and why we're here. Yeah, and it could have gone either way. Your Mm -hmm. ancestors could have ended up anywhere. Mm-hmm. But they ended up there, and I think so much of human life is a complete fluke, right? Like, it's just like, wow, when you look at this sort of stuff and the hardships, and this boat could have gone anywhere, or this boat could have sank, or my relative could have missed the boat, or decided to get on a different boat. There's all these decisions that add up and actually literally connect you to the beginning of life on Earth. Yeah. Like, it's even back to the decisions of animals that would have been our ancestors before Homo sapiens even evolved. It's like these little decisions. And so it's very interesting to think about us or anyone living, how your decisions somehow affect the future generations. Even if it's not like your direct descendants, it's like the butterfly effect. You know, you butterfly flaps its wings here and there's a tsunami on the other side of the world. But 
it's all these little things that add up and it's really quite absurd to think about like you said it makes you appreciate home when you leave home i think in many ways it's necessary to leave to appreciate home to appreciate where you come from even if you're not out learning about your ancestors just going to a different culture right. makes you appreciate where you come from mm-hmm. but especially so going to a different culture and learning about your ancestors from that culture it's just a double whammy right. and it makes sense of why they're where they are mm-hmm. where would be the most ideal place for you to live in the world if you could choose iceland yeah. <laughs> i don't know i think i would raise a family in north dakota mm. What are some other places you'd like to travel to? Australia is on the top of my list right now. Norway. Mm. Italy. Yeah, I sort of wish there was a Snorri program for every culture. Me too. It's a cool way to experience. And in some ways, I think this kind of ruins travel. Because <laughs> you'll go somewhere, even if it's for the same amount of time, but if you don't have the same connections that you get from Snorri or from Icelandic roots or other communities, it uh, could be tough. To really make the most of these traveling to other places. Yeah, you don't feel like a tourist here, mm-hmm. being a part of the program. Mm-hmm. feels like we live here. Mm-hmm. And I think when we travel from now on, mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Golden note. Golden note. Thanks for listening to the Icelandic Roots podcast, where we explore the rich history and culture of Iceland and its people. Join our community of passionate and knowledgeable genealogists, historians, and Iceland enthusiasts who are dedicated to preserving and sharing the stories of Icelandic heritage. Whether you are just starting your genealogical journey or are a seasoned researcher, Icelandic Roots has something for everyone. We believe that understanding our past is essential to shaping our future. And we are committed to helping individuals connect with their Icelandic heritage in meaningful ways. So come join us on this exciting adventure into Icelandic history and culture. Visit our website today to learn more about becoming a member of Icelandic Roots and start exploring your own unique connection to this incredible country.